This is Across Culture, the podcast exploring culture, identity, and the Christian faith. I'm Jessie, your host. Hello, everyone. This is Series 3, Episode 5, an interview with Ian Collinge. I'm going to keep this introduction brief because at the end of the interview, there's going to be a music clip. So please don't go anywhere. Hi, Ian. Thank you so much for being here on Across Culture. What a delight to have you here. And I'd like you to introduce yourself. Some people might not know you. So who are you, please? Who am I? Well, I'm uh, Ian, Ian Collinge. I live in Leeds in England. And I've uh, served the Lord uh, in different cultures. Uh, And for the longer time, it was in Nepal. And we had a lot of fun uh, working with Tibetan people. And uh, my main sort of focus was looking at Tibetan music. I got a training in something called ethnomusicology, which I know, mm. Jesse, you know all mm, about. Love it. And uh, But my heart really, uh, apart from the kind of technical side of researching t- uh, Tibetan music was really how can Tibetans worship Jesus? How do they worship Jesus when they come to faith? So we had the wonderful opportunity actually to spend some time worshipping over a number of years with Tibetan believers to find out actually how is Tibetan worship maybe a little bit different from uh, what we might know uh, in our own home churches uh, like here in England. Mm. So you're originally from the UK and you went over to Nepal, did you say? And spent many years there. Spent many years there, then came back. And um, now we, my wife and I, we work with an organization, a missionary organization called WEC International. And some years ago, we started the arts ministry and that's called Arts Release. I love that name, Arts Release. Yes. Yeah, it's really great. Can you tell us more about what the ministry is? Okay, the ministry started with music because that's where uh, I could bring my strengths. And of course, with that Tibetan music research background, I brought that into it. But um, And really what developed in the early days was a passion for multicultural worship. Uh, But we always had, from the beginning, we had an interest in seeing the arts used to glorify God, uh, used in mission, used in church. So we couldn't do that ourselves. So we prayed to God for people to come and join us who had those skills. And that's what he's done. He's brought people to us. He's grown the the network uh, of, of artists. Uh, across WEC and we collaborate with others too. How long has it been going for then now? Well that's uh, now it's coming up to um, it started in 2008 so it's like 12, mm. 12 and a half mm. Uh, mm. years old yeah so we've been developing. I remember the 10 year anniversary actually was that yes. two years ago wow yeah, that's right. Two wow, years ago. long time ago. Yeah. yeah, amazing. So I know that you always do research into different things to do with music, worship, 
and cultures. And I'm really keen to talk about something called heart music. So can you explain to us a little bit about what your understanding of heart music is? Surely, yes. Uh, I love heart music. Um, heart music, it, it's, it's got a great feel, hasn't it? Uh, heart music. It kind of means something to do with your emotions, actually. Hmm. Uh, that's the heart bit of it. But it also connects into how our psychology works with music. So how we respond to, to music. So the kind of established quote on this uh, goes along this sort of line that the mu it's, heart music is the musical system that a person learns as a child or youth and that most fully expresses his or her emotions. And I need to give tribute to doctors Brian Schrag and Paul Neely about that. Okay. Uh, but I think uh, I'd like to expand that a little bit more because that really applies very often in a monocultural situation where somebody's grown up in a fairly clearly defined culture. Mm -hmm. But what about people uh, like you, Jesse, you know, who we're talking about across cultures. What about people yeah, yeah. <laughs> who are born in, in one culture, but they have a heritage from another culture and maybe they've got connections somewhere else. And so it's kind of all mixed up. And so I prefer to think of it as a bit deeper, uh, where well, it's connected to our identity. Yes. And I know you love to talk about identity in, in these podcasts. Yes. <laughs> so this is another one by Joy Kim, who's a Korean uh, living in America and uh, working with the uh, Proskuneo ministries. So she says this, that heart music means the music that penetrates a person's heart, that reflects a person's identity and culture, that touches one deep, one's deep thoughts and emotions. It's considered the music that helps people connect with God and with the world around them. So those are lots of things in there. Mm -hmm. But the way I, I guess, you know, people have sometimes questioned, is this a, is this a legitimate way to talk about our connection with music? Because it comes actually from a concept in translation studies to do with heart language. And all of us have a heart language, which is the language that we express our emotions best in. But actually there are many people, and you're one of them, Jesse, you know, for whom you probably have more than one heart language. I don't know, mm. I'd like to know that, but. Uh, <laughs> Something I'm thinking about as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think English would be my heart language, but then. Your heart language. I must have some affinity towards Cantonese as well. When I hear yeah. it on the streets, I'm like, oh, it's Cantonese, it must be. And so your, your ear is attuned to that. Yeah, for sure. You pick it up, yeah. Mm. And that, that, that indicates something about heart language, doesn't it? Okay. Mm. You, you pick up oh, something that you really identify with. Yeah. So I think that's very true with music too. And so we don't have, each of us, we don't just have one style of heart music, especially in this day and age, we're exposed to all sorts of styles. So the possibility exists then that our heart music style is actually quite diverse or is quite complex. And the connection mm. between our 
personal identity and that heart music is very close. So this is where I want to come on to the music psychology bit because music psychologists talk about uh, our, con our connecting as we're growing up, uh, even from within the womb, connecting with the sounds that we hear and uh, relating that to an emotional response. So right. that's where the heart music bits come, comes in. So even from in the womb where we're feeling perhaps very secure and we are hearing things from outside of the womb, apparently, that mm. impact us. And so when we're growing up, especially in the, those very formative years, we hear all this music around us and we are associating it with certain emotions. Yes. And of course, especially with our mother or people we know love us, there's a connection of warmth to that kind of music. And then something else happens uh, as we become more independent in our ad adolescent years. And that is we start to kind of identify ourselves outside of our family context with other people and uh, especially our peers, um, trying to discover who we are, you know, mm. individually, uh, what maybe subculture mm. we feel the most comfortable in. Mm. And that subculture often has a music associated with it. So that's the social identity part. Yes. Yeah. So this is as we're forming our sense of culture, as we're mm. forming our sense of of cultural and social identity mm. and our personal identity in that. So it's very, it's very deep because what happens with music is it sparks in our brain um, some chemical reactions. And those chemicals fire um, emotions. So it could be like comfort, it could be a sense of freedom. It could be even that you don't like it and you react against that, mm. that sound yeah. uh, or that rhythm or something that it's because of how you, your brain has been developing over your growing up years, somehow those reactions are, are there. And so by the, your early adult life, probably, those reactions are fairly set. I want to qualify that in a minute because I've been thinking about, I think we can develop our heart music. So, mm. <laughs> you know, and we, we can retrain our brains in certain ways to react, but uh, there will be a default in our reactions, our emotional reactions to musical inputs. Uh, yeah. And that's why we, we go ser searching out different kinds of music. And I think especially during this COVID pandemic lockdown time, when we've been pretty much, you know, isolated or we've been stressed and we're f wanting to look for things that will help us to comfort us, we will go to that comfort music. And on the radio, there are all sorts of kind of mindfulness music sort of things that you can go to to help you to 
de-stress. Now, certain examples that you find on those uh, playlists will help you more than others. And some you think, well, that doesn't help me become more mindful. <laughs> it doesn't slow my mind down and help me to be calm and collected. Uh, it doesn't have that same impact. And the reason is it goes back to your growing up and how mm. you connected with music as you grew up. So if somebody's heart music is heavy metal rock, then if they're listening to it now, then they might be able to feel more at peace or relaxed and more mindful. Oh, I've got a very good example because I'm the total opposite of uh, finding heavy metal relaxing. Okay. But can I tell you a lovely example from some friends of mine? So uh, they're called the Sourmans and they're ethnomusicologists with a background in, in music therapy. Hmm. So whilst they were music therapists, particularly the wife, she was helping um, some ladies to de-stress from trauma, uh, maybe trauma coming up. Uh, and there was an 80 year old lady and uh, she played all sorts of music and she tried different things out and she was measuring her heart rate and her blood pressure to see what the result was of different kinds of music on her mm. heart rate mm. and her blood pressure. So the 80 year old lady, yeah. 80. The octogenarian, 80-year-old uh, lady, uh, right. she played her music like, uh, you are my sunshine, my only sunshine. Mm -hmm. And all her stress levels came down. You Ooh. could see that in the blood pressure and the heart rate monitoring. Right. And then she played some heavy metal and the complete opposite happened. <laughs> it all spiked. <laughs> <laughs> no, it raised those levels of, uh, is it serotonin? I can't remember what the chemicals are. Mm. Anyway, uh, it raised those anxiety levels in her. Well, there was an 18-year-old lady, young mm -hmm. woman, who was about to give birth, and she was stressed about this. There was a mm. social situation where she wasn't able to keep her child, and it, so it was very stressful. Right. And so again, you know, they tried a, a range of examples to, to find music which would calm her in a stressful situation. And they tried, you are my sunshine, my only sunshine, and her blood pressure and heart rate would go up. Up. <laughs> up, that's right. Wow, wow, okay. <laughs> but actually it was the heavy metal that she liked. So, uh, when it came to going to the delivery suite in the hospital, uh, the nurses didn't want to have heavy metal play. Mm. <laughs> so that wasn't being what wasn't allowed. But her blood pressure and her heart rate were, was going up during a stressful uh, experience, mm -hmm. and so they said, "Put on that heavy metal then." And oh. within less than one minute, wow. both the heart rate of the mother and the baby went down. Wow. It relaxed her completely. That is the power of heart music. It Amazing. brings those stress levels down or it awakens uh, aspects of beauty. Uh, you know, it evokes those things for us. That's why I like to talk about heart music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're passionate. Um, yeah. I guess it's something that you can't assume for other people, though. And like you said, Oh, well, you, maybe you'll tell us more about heart music 
being developed over time. But you can't, I guess you can't judge by someone by how they look like what their heart music would be. Mm -hmm. hmm. So I might look at you and think, oh, well, I need to play some Chinese music, cheer you up. <laughs> but you know, that may not be the case. The important thing is actually for me to talk to you <laughs> and find out what uh, music evokes those responses in you, which are helpful. Mm hmm. Yes. Like 90s, noughties pop music. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so you were talking a little bit about heart music being developed over time. Is there anything you can share about that at the moment? I think um, I'm, what I'm thinking about right now is, is beyond your early 20s. Because I think by your early 20s, you've got a lot of experience of music. You have a lot of experience of connecting certain emotions to those uh, forms of music, or just maybe just examples or sounds of music. So very often then, what happens, I think, is as we get into our 30s, 40s, 50s, we, our responses are related to those responses when we were younger. So if they relaxed us, relaxed us when we were 20, they're probably going to relax us when we're 50. Hmm. So that's why when certain bands, as they get older, there's a following that tends to be the same age as those bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't mean to say that younger people can't get to like those bands, but, yeah, but yeah. it kind of follows through. I even noticed mm. that in, in Christian conferences that you, <laughs> over the decades, you still get the same people coming along. Uh, hmm. And it's it's a similar thing. Is it's where do you find yourself uh, more comfortable? It's your comfort zone, isn't comfort it? Zone. So we have comfort zone types of music. But I think what I'm trying to think about now is, okay, somebody comes to faith in Jesus. They go to church and they go and and they are trying to experience what is being given. Uh, musically as this is how to worship God so in that situation they have a choice hmm. they they can turn off because it's not their preferred type of music or they can open themselves up and one of the most beautiful things in worship is that we find that we connect to God through sung worship through musical worship yeah through expression not just singing but through the music itself and so you start to associate positive things with those forms of music so i it's a more complex thing than saying oh i grew up with this kind of music therefore i will not like that kind of worship music Hmm. I think it's much more complicated than that. And so you can learn to like music. And I think just for my own example, I never grew up with South Asian music. You know, I, I grew up with classical music. When I became a Christian, it was Christian music. Mm -hmm. and, and so I never had really a lot of exposure to Indian music. But I found one day I was listening to the radio 
just randomly switching it from one channel to another. And I came across this channel and I, I thought, I want more of that. And it was Indian music. And so yeah. I have begun to love particularly instrumental music from mm. North India. Wow. And I'm thinking, why? You know, <laughs> what, what are the connections? And I think there are some sounds in the music. I, I love modal music. And of course, the raga system of Indian music is, if you like, very modal. Um, in, in some ways, it's much more expansive than the Western modal system. Uh, and it's beautiful. But the thing is, I didn't understand it, but I, I responded to it. Uh, mm. And I found it evocative. I found it at times comforting. And I think some of the sounds in the music that I grew up with, possibly I was hearing in this, maybe I was interpreting differently than mm. an Indian who'd grown up with it uh, yeah. would do. Mm. But uh, honestly, I found it very moving. But I didn't know the grammar of this music. So I, I went to a concert, for example, of um, probably it was Ravi Shankar playing the sitar with his daughter Anushka Shankar. Mm -hmm. and, um, and people would start clapping at certain points. And I didn't know why they were clapping. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So what it indicated mm -hmm. to me was I didn't know the grammar of this music. I didn't know what was important in the music. Now yeah. I know, because when I studied ethnomusicology, there was this almost like uh, Indian music appreciation class, and uh, and so and now I know how to understand the structures a lot more. I couldn't tell you what scale or raga it is. I couldn't tell you what the rhythm is or the tal, but I, I can appreciate it a lot more. I understand much more of the structure. So uh, now I know, oh yeah, I could clap to that one. You know, I could, I could say, well done, you, you arrived at a certain point in the music, having, having come around this particular cycle mm. in the rhythm and having used the scale patterns that you're, you use in Indian music. And you've arrived at this note at this particular time after having done all of this flourish. And it's amazing. Uh, that's why they were clapping. But I didn't know that at mm. the beginning. So I, yeah. I think it was an emotional connection. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't a, a cognitive connection. Uh, in my, my understanding of how the music works. But now you've arrived at the cognitive understanding. More. More. more yeah, there's obviously. more to yeah, learn, a, of course. It's a growing thing. So what I'm, I, I suppose the question was, can we develop our heart music? I think we can. Uh, and possibly what's happening, I mean, music psychologists can put me wrong if I'm, uh, uh, put me right if I'm wrong on this, but perhaps we're rewiring something in our brain uh, mm -hmm. so that our emotions uh are now being fine-tuned a bit more. Uh, even as we grow up, you know, and I'm, I'm not a youngster anymore, so, but I'm still finding that. Um, I, I was just reflecting, you know, what, what was I listening to yesterday or the day before? Hmm. And yesterday I found myself listening to Eric Whittaker. You okay. know Eric Whittaker? Choir, yeah, yeah choral Choir, so choral music, it's beautiful. 
so that's my classical background coming out and he used to sing in choirs a lot and i just found his his compositions very uh moving very sort of powerful really uh, the other thing I was listening to was um, it's it's an African CD, and there were particularly one of these songs in there. It's in Nigerian pidgin. Now I don't understand all of it. You pick up some words, but I just find the singing and the rhythms and the percussion, and you know, just it moves moves me. You know. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. did I grow up with that? No, I didn't. Um, but I did grow up with choral singing. So that's that. Those are some mm. of the connections with Eric Whittaker. Yeah. So mm. I, I do think we can develop our tastes and our, our connections to music in our brains. Mm. Yeah, that's really insightful. Let's talk a little bit about worship in the church. So how does harp music fit into it? I think you mentioned it a little bit um, earlier. Uh, talking about coming outside of comfort zones so obviously yes. in the church you're going to have lots of people from different places and um, people who have different kind of heart musics so how can everybody worship God and connect to God together amazing question and not easy not easy but <laughs> I, I think what we're talking about is actually the answer <laughs> the answer because hmm. uh, if we are loving enough to find out what the heart music responses are of people in our church, then mm. we will change the way we worship. We will change our choices of music and what helps people to come close to God. Uh, we will ask people what helps you. Um, now, it, it's not always possible in a church to then replicate that style of music. So for example, we had in a, a, a church that I was part of, an older a man from Zambia. Mm -hmm. And I said to him, Charles, his name was Charles, what music do you like to listen to? Uh, you know, what worship music particularly I was talking about, what do you listen to at home? All right. And he said, oh, Jojo Mwangaza. Okay. Now, if anyone from Zambia is listening to that, they probably know the name Jojo Mwangaza, but I had never heard of Jojo Mwangaza. So I went and looked it up and I thought, I'm not sure this church, you know, we're, we're quite up to replicating Jojo Mwangaza at the moment. <laughs> right. You know, I think we need um, some musicians who can do this and all that. So it's quite tricky, isn't it? Now, what was, what was to me quite a confirmation of this was, um, there were a group of us going somewhere together and I jumped into the same car with Charles and Charles was driving and he had some music on in his car and I said what is that music mm. <laughs> and he said well it's Jojo Mwangaza so I thought this is confirming to me mm -hmm. how important that is so if your church was able to do that mm -hmm. would be to really discover a bit more about Jojo Mwangaza and how he does things and how that's important for someone like Charles. Can we, can we get anywhere near to that? Can someone on the keys get all the right chords? Can, can the vocals start to do the harmonies and all that sort of stuff that might be helpful? Or is it just singing the words of a Jojo Mwangaza song that would be 
a good starting point. How do we do that? Well, we ask Charles, can you write this down for us? Can you help us know what it means? You know, and maybe even help us put that into English so we can sing it in English as well. Uh, so, so that's one, one uh, thing to do is to actually find out. Mm-hmm. Now, I've just told you about one person. Yeah. I've told you about Charles from Zambia who likes Giorgio Mwangaza's music. Yeah. But what about a church of 50, 80, 100, 200 people? That's going yeah. to be much more complex. So uh, obviously you have to have those conversations. And I think you have to uh, move to a point where the church is happy singing in different languages, where the church, um, you, that's a journey, you know, just singing mm-hmm. maybe a bridge or a chorus of one song in another language might be your starting point, but it's not your destination point. Your destination point is where everybody has a seat at the table, everybody can contribute to the worship, even if they're not uh, a song leader or a musician, that they have a voice into what happens. Mm -hmm. And so you need round table discussions, really, ideally for Mm -hmm. that. You need the musicians to get together to try a few things out. And that can be a journey before you ever do that on a Sunday morning. You just experiment, you listen to one another's songs uh, and you start playing with it. And then you bring Charles in and you say, we're doing this song from Jeju Mangaza. You know, how are we doing? <laughs> and uh, and you ask, you know, uh, is the rhythm okay? You know, is the harmonies, is that working for you? You know, mm-hmm. uh, and so you're, yeah. you're finding out, but then maybe there's someone from Latin America uh, and they're bringing in perhaps a, a Latin American rhythm is a musician, you know, and they're playing congas or something. And, hmm. uh, and maybe you're bringing these two together. Then you say, Charles, is this working for you? Oh, wow. In this Zambian song. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so maybe there's a bit of creative collaboration that's yeah. going on. You're creating something new together. Hmm. Um, you know, this takes time. It takes love actually. It takes a a willingness to learn from one another. And I would say the sticking point is usually the dominant culture. Mm -hmm. Because the people who have been leading worship, who have been in charge of where the worship goes, the problem is that they have an idea already in their heads of what they prefer. Yeah. And if they don't quite like Jojo Mwangaza <laughs> or they don't like something else, maybe an Iranian star, they're not easily going to find that they want to do that. So that's why love is so important, that you, you, you sacrifice something of your own preferences for the sake of others. Hmm. And that means that it's not every song that you'll have to do that. You'll love most of the songs, but maybe there's one song you don't like, (laughs) or maybe there's one sound that you don't like. You know, I have a friend who says she doesn't like the sound of the violin. Well, I can't imagine what it is that she doesn't like about (laughs) the sound of the violin. But there are some things that cause problems for people. (laughs) Well, even the worship leader, the person in charge, they've got to be willing to lay down those reactions 
um, for the sake of their brother or sister from another culture who prefers something else. Yes, because the brother and sister from another culture probably have to keep laying down their preferences mm. most of the time. Wow, that, that I think, I think if we realise that, mm. I think if my stereotypical worship leader guy or mm-hmm. gal um, mm-hmm. is, isn't aware of that, it's difficult to go on that journey. So Charles is having, and I keep relating Charles because of this example, but uh, Charles is having to lay down his preferences, but back home, he's putting on his, his uh, preferred style of, of worship. So why should he have to split? Hmm. I, I heard you say, even yesterday, I think it was, that you may have to lay down your culture at the door as you go into church. Yeah, yeah. You don't want that to have to happen. No. You know, if, if the church is going to be a loving community, that isn't a sign of love. It's like, I've got something to learn from you as well. Yes, but I'm thinking of an argument that what if people say, oh, why can't they learn the dominant culture worship style? For example, if they're in the minority. Well, I think probably they are already. Mm. But it's just not working for them. Mm. And so you, you, you find eventually people could drift away because it's not quite working for them. Uh, mm-hmm. Let me tell you another story. We went to a church to, uh, this is some years ago in, I think it was in Wakefield up here in Yorkshire. And uh, it was a pretty white church. Uh, but there was one lady from I think it was from Ghana with her children and she'd been coming for years and we led in some songs including in an African song and my wife being uh, the extrovert that she is (laughs) she said why don't we do a procession with this song you know sort of go round a church through one door and come back through another oh wow now that made all the difference to this lady yeah. She said to us afterwards, I was about to leave this church. Wow. And now I have some hope. Hmm. Uh, so it's just understanding that even something as simple as that uh, could help someone from another culture. Um, because she had been there, she'd been learning the dominant style of worship music, and she was. I, I, I don't know why she was staying, <laughs> but she was, she was staying. Maybe she just had a great sense of loyalty or maybe she didn't want to criticize the leadership or something like that. Hmm. Uh, it's very difficult for people to express how they feel unhappy about something. Hmm. But, you know, one of those Sundays after our time, she might've left the church um, because hmm. it wasn't working for her. And, and the people in the church perhaps hadn't found out what would work for her. Hmm. Yeah, so it's a two-way process, isn't it? Yeah, it is, for sure. And I'm also thinking about something at the moment that I've met a couple of immigrants to the UK who learnt about Christianity in English and they started only started going to church in this country. So the way that they connect to God is using English and christian contemporary music so is there a place for them 
to explore worship music in their mother tongue? Yes, definitely, definitely. Mm. Um, the style, I, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Be because they have a very special emotional connection to English as their worship language, mm -hmm. their prayer language, probably. So I have a dear friend um, who is Nigerian, but spent many years, maybe 15 years in Italy. And her worship language is Italian, though she's from Nigeria. And she'd say to me, Ian, do you mind if I pray in Italian? I'd say, no, let's, let's hear it. <laughs> you know, so that was an example of her I, I guess finding that her prayer language was Italian and yet was there another language that she'd also be, be able to pray in and I think that can be a real discovery for some people. So one example was uh, I mentioned before that I had the privilege of worshipping with Tibetans yeah. uh, and praying with them and there was one, one Tibetan who had come a bit like your situation he was in India and he'd come to faith through an English medium church. And we got, uh, we were doing something together. We were traveling in a kind of tuk-tuk, they call them auto rituals. Mm -hmm. uh, and we were just about to part and, and uh, he was going somewhere, I was going somewhere, I can't remember exactly, but I said, let's pray together. And I prayed in his language. I prayed in Tibetan, because that's what I learned to do. Yeah. Uh, and he said, that's the very first time I have heard a prayer in Tibetan. Mm. And he was so delighted. And that he, he was then, he wrote some songs, some Tibetan songs to Jesus. Mm. Right. Um, so it was a discovery for him yeah. to be able to pray in his own language. Maybe it just took somebody, uh, maybe even an outsider too, <laughs> yeah. you know, but somebody to do it, uh, to say, hey, this is a beautiful language and you can pray in your own language. Yeah. 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 That's helpful. Thank you. Mm. I'm so inspired listening to you and I love <laughs> hearing your stories. <laughs> <laughs> Even though, you know, I sometimes teach people and I'm, I'm in these kind of spheres as well, but there's still always so much to learn. So thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today. Uh, just before we end off, is there anything that you'd like to share? Um, yes, I think there is. I, I think it's about this journey for a church. And, and that is that um, it takes time. So mm -hmm. give yourself grace. You know, if you're a worship leader listening to this, if you're a church leader, uh, give yourself grace. But also if you are somebody who is from another culture than most of the people in the church, uh, also give yourself grace and give yourself permission to approach mm. the leaders and say, can I share with you something that's meaningful to me? Uh, it may not be relevant for changing things in church or maybe we can do something. But like um, Charles told me about Jojo Mangaza and I went yes. to look it up on the internet, um, then you know, do that kind of thing. Just help church leaders. They're not going to know, actually, unless you share mm. with them what's important to you. So help the conversation. 
uh, along the way. So yes. I think I just want to kind of leave those thoughts about just having the grace for one another. Yeah. Yeah. Communicate and have grace. Yeah. Hmm. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Ian, for being here. Uh, it's been my real pleasure, Jesse. Wonderful. See you soon. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed that interview. And I'm going to end this episode with a short clip from Arts Release and Friends when we got together to record Nara Ekele Mo, which is an originally English and Igbo song, very popular in Nigeria. We used different languages and different styles as well. And if you want to hear the full version, go on to YouTube. Link is in the description. So this is our Resonance Global Family version of Nara Ekele Mo.
Oh, 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 oh,